Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. On today's program, we're going to be speaking about um, what's happening in Palestine, the invasion, biggest attack or invasion of the Palestinian West Bank by Israel in um, two decades. Um, lots of loss of life, so many people injured and uh, shocking, sending shockwaves around the world and in the region. Summer and I will be speaking to a guest speaker uh, or a guest, Noor Oda, about that. And uh, maybe also your phone calls. Then more after this music break. This is True Talk on WMNF. True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM with Ahmed and Samar, Mawlud for Palestine, song by Emel Samar. She usually picks out the music, especially when it comes to Palestine. Um, what is the song about? Good morning, Ahmed, and good morning, everyone. This is uh, originally actually a song uh, 
a Spanish song. And let me try uh, to uh, read it, Ahmed, because, you know, my Spanish isn't that uh, great. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the Spanish is Nasi in Alamo, uh, which is a lament of uh, loss of home. I think it's a famous Spanish uh, song. And um, it talks about basic human uh, rights. So Amal, who is from Tunisia, and she shot the song, by the way, in Central Park in New York in 2017, in December. And she adopted this song to pay homage to the uh, Palestinians who for decades have endured every kind of deprivation while the world powers only look on from one-sided stance. And I am quoting here, uh, Amal. So it says, uh, I'm not sure if you played uh, a lot uh, when it comes to the Arabic language, but even in Spanish, it says, I have no place, I have no landscape, I have no homeland. With my finger, I make fire, and with my heart, I sing for you. My heart strings weep, I was born in Palestine. I have no place, I have no landscape. Uh, and then I think this is the song. So it's uh, she's a Tunisian, and she's a very interesting human being. She was selected by the Nobel Peace Prize to sing uh, at their major uh, event, uh, I think, a few years ago. Uh, right. And, and she yeah. did that song for she, the Arab Spring. And I think she was singing this in, um, in New York. Um, I wanted to, before we get on our topic today, which is about Palestine, Philistine, and the um, brutal attacks and the invasion that's taking place um, this past week by Israeli forces, which is being condemned by people uh, around the world. Um, last week uh, was our holiday, Eid al-Adha, and commemorating the uh, Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, and also about the um, journey of Abraham, Prophet Abraham. Um, usually we spend, you know, it's just like, I guess that's like, uh, I don't know, our Christmas or our Easter. How was your Eid? What did you do? Alhamdulillah, Eid was uh, good. Uh, nothing much because it's in the middle of the week. Uh, so there is only a prayer at the mosque for the class, like this, the whole thing uh, maybe happened hour and then everybody goes to work but uh, it's good alhamdulillah we will have a family dinner this coming saturday inshallah okay well we had our family dinner on eid itself so yeah it was during the week but you know took the day off probably because you are not cooking <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah right i did not uh, i okay. did what did i do oh i grilled something actually on the barbecue so even though it's really hot outside Imagine grilling in this heat and just unbelievable heat. Um, How long is it going to last? Because even my friend in New York, she just uh, said, you know, it's it's unbearable. Right. Well, it's unprecedented. They're saying the hottest uh, June or June or July on record, the hottest Fourth of July on record um, in in I don't know. So it is getting definitely very warm and. Um, and they're talking about even in North Africa, it's upwards of 50 degrees Celsius, um, over 100, like maybe around 120 or something. Um, but anyway, happy Eid to you, Eid Mubarak. Um, and right as the Eid celebrations were happening, um, Israel kicks off this um, 
uh, attack, this invasion of the West Bank. Of course, for our listeners that are not familiar, the West Bank is, or Palestine as a place, uh, even though it's not necessarily on the map and there are no real borders right now, uh, but it's kind of split between a place called the West Bank and uh, the Gaza Strip. And most of the attacks of Israel have been happening by the military invasion and attacks have been happening mostly in Gaza for the past, um, I don't know, 20 years. Um, this last week was the largest offensive an attack in the West Bank um, in some 20 years. And some are, are um, uh, we have a guest that will be speaking about this with us, if you could introduce them. Actually, Ahmed, uh, the attacks on uh, the West Bank and Ramallah and uh, all these cities happen every day in Jerusalem. But I think Noor will talk about it and elaborate. I'm very happy to say that uh, Noor Oud, who is a freelance uh, journalist that lives in the West Bank, in the occupied city of Ramallah, is joining us live uh, from Palestine and she can uh, shed plenty of light on uh, what is going on. So, um, Noor, can you hear us here in the U.S.? I can hear you, yes. Okay, loud and clear. Well, the Noor, quality is really good. Yeah, um, <laughs> actually, the, the, uh, the Internet, uh, I think, in uh, Palestine and the Arab world is much better than what we have here in Florida, at least in my hometown after the hurricane. But Noor, I'm very, very happy to have you on the show. I follow you on uh, Twitter or I follow what you write. And I think you were just on the BBC and I bet you they do not expect the Palestinians to use the language that we use when we talk about Palestine. But before we talk about uh, Janine and the attack on Janine, when Janine is covered in the Western media, they talk about it as if it's some independent small nation state or it's maybe a small independent uh, city. Uh, mm. But Janine really is nothing like what the media would like us to uh, know. What is Janine? Uh, what like how big it is? Uh, why there is in Janine a refugee camp called Janine, or is the whole thing is a refugee camp? Tell us as much as you can about Jenin before we start talking about why uh, Israel launched this attack. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very happy to be with you uh, today. Um, look, Jenin is actually, uh, uh, as far as uh, picturesque goes, it's one of the uh, uh, most picturesque uh, cities in the West Bank. It's surrounded by fields, by lush green fields that are planted with all sorts of crops. It's uh, uh, um, a sleepy town, if you will. It's not very big. It's not a very uh, rich town. It's not an industrial place. It houses a refugee camp, a very densely populated refugee camp. And though the Palestinians who live in that camp are uh, uh, refugees who were dispossessed in 1948 when Israel was established by uh, militias who forced Palestinians out of their home from what is now present-day Israel and their descendants um, who basically look out their windows or their balconies and see, in many cases, the uh, towns and the uh, valleys that uh, their fathers and grandparents were dispossessed from. 
Um, so in a way, Janine, being so close to the border with Israel, being so close to where uh, many of the residents of that camp come from, is a place where the Palestinian cause is also very much alive and where the sense of injustice um, is compounded by the daily raids that you spoke of at the beginning of the show and the fact that Israel is ever present. Its control uh, is felt in every detail of life in the fa in in the um, you know whether people have a possibility to get a job how how much they can move around what kind of access they have to uh, medicine and to education all of those aspects of daily life uh, for every Palestinian are controlled by Israel even though it doesn't necessarily uh, you know it's not there present every moment. So according to international law, Jenin is an occupied territory. Absolutely. It is part of the West Bank, which is occupied territory, uh, recognized as such by the U.S. and uh, every country in the world, pretty much. So, for instance, uh, what happened uh, in the past two, three days? What, what went uh, uh, wrong or why was Israel uh, sending all these uh, with amazing uh, level of uh, uh, air uh, renaissance and um, drones and uh, soldiers on the ground, elite units on the ground. I mean, what is going on? What was going on at that time? Well, Israel Israel said uh, for, you know, for days leading up to that in, uh, raid that it accuses uh, uh, some um, activists inside the camp of launching attacks against settlers in the occupied West Bank, Israeli settlers, who uh, we have to remind our viewers are there, are present there also against international law and against Israeli uh, soldiers. Now, to give you an idea of just how small the area we're talking about is, uh, the Janine refugee camp is less than a square kilometer um, in area. So it's a tiny uh, 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 tiny space. It houses uh, uh, about between twelve and 14,000 people. So literally people living one on top of the other, very cramped up spaces, very small homes. Um, and it sent over 1,000 soldiers with their armored vehicles, uh, with drones, um, um, with APCs into the camp, deep into the camp. Uh, it, uh, the army destroyed the water infrastructure. They destroyed the electricity. Um, people basically were cut off uh, from water and electricity for two days. So much like a hurricane, but only man-made. Um, and up to 4,000 people were forced to leave their home in the dead of night, raising their hands in the, in, in the air. Uh, to try and exit safely uh, the, the refugee camp because the soldiers ordered them to. Um, and they sought refuge in public parks and public spaces. People opened their homes and their uh, businesses, their wedding halls to try and house them while that, while that ordeal uh, um, was going on. Um, so really the entire area of the Janine camp and Janine city was traumatized by this large contingent of Israeli soldiers with all their equipment uh, entering that tiny space um, in order to uh, uh, chase after uh, a few young men aged between 16 and 22, um, killing 
12 uh, Palestinians. Um, uh, eight of them were uh, affiliated with uh, Palestinian factions. Four of them were civilians. Um, new footage that has emerged from, from uh, you know, just cameras that were uh, put on the uh, doors of businesses and so on show several cases where Israeli snipers and Israeli drones targeted civilians who were unarmed. Um, and and, and uh, some of them were either killed or injured in those attacks. Um, so the trauma is, is, is there even after the Israeli soldiers left because the damage is so extensive. Over 300 homes in that small, tiny uh, refugee camp have been damaged by this two-day ordeal. It's uh, interesting you mentioned that because in the Western media, and uh, they copy exactly what Israel says, that why did these, uh, uh, they call them, of course, terrorists, we call them freedom fighters in Palestine. Uh, we will explain that uh, in a minute. Uh, that why are they in this dense populated area? As if they can go and create another uh, base for them outside these dense uh, communities. So Israel knew when they bomb these places and when they attack these places and when they launch these attacks, they know that they are going to the most condensed piece of uh, real estate on the face of Earth. So um, this is well well known for them. But my question here, uh, Noor, if this is, uh, like you said, Janine is an occupied uh, city, according to international law, according to U.S. Uh, State Department, I think, uh, policies, uh, and the ICG, I think, confirmed in 2004 that uh, this is, uh, you know, this is exactly occupied territories. The can't people who are occupied, for instance, defend themselves, try to liberate themselves or uplift occupation? I mean, Ukrainians are being celebrated, even young people holding guns are being celebrated and were celebrated at the beginning of uh, the law, uh, attack on Ukraine. Why is there double standard? Why can't uh, the Western media use the same language uh, when they talk about Palestine and the right to resist occupation, uh, the way they use it when they talk about the Ukraine? I think that's an excellent question. And I think that this is a question that more and more people are asking, uh, especially in the U.S., where so much of the taxpayers' money has gone into assisting Ukraine in defending itself and in defending its territory and uh, against an invasion. Um, and, and the short answer really is politics. Uh, uh, there is no good reason why such double standards should be applied. Um, the West Bank is occupied by Israel. That's a, a legal fact uh, that the uh, US ad successive U.S. administrations have uh, accepted. Um, and, and Israel, uh, as an occupying power, actually has a duty to safeguard the well-being and safety of the people it occupies. It doesn't have a right to assault uh, the people it occupies or to defend its occupation of that territory, which has gone on for over half a century, for over 50 years. Um, so legally speaking, there is no doubt that that occupation is illegal. Uh, in fact, the International Court of Justice will uh, this month deliberate that question and answer it conclusively about 
you know, what do you call that uh, regime of control that Israel has? Human rights organizations are in, you know, in agreement that you call it settler colonialism, that it has, uh, that Israel has imposed a, um, a racist uh, a regime of apartheid against Palestinians, including those who have Israeli citizenship, in order to maintain control and to expand uh, territory by force, which is something that no state is allowed to do. Um, but but again, we are faced with this uh, cynical dimension of politics where different interests and where different uh, ideologies converge to justify the unjustifiable, uh, to oppose uh, crimes in one place and excuse them uh, in Palestine. Um, and, and, you know, that that point is not lost on Palestinians who follow uh, politics in countries, especially the U.S., very closely. Um, but I think, you know, just to 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 shed light on where where Palestinians draw hope, I think we can all draw some hope from brave voices uh, within the American political system, within the Democratic Party, especially that have been speaking up and that have been uh, talking about Palestinian rights and the fact that Israel shouldn't get a free ride and shouldn't get unconditional um, military and financial support from from the American uh, uh, people uh, unless it abides by American laws and by uh, uh, international law standards. And right now it is breaking both. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. Ahmed and I are talking to Noor Oda, who is a freelance uh, journalist and a communication specialist. She's a multilingual, I think you speak Portuguese also, besides Arabic and English, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and she uh, works uh, out of Ramallah in the occupied West Bank in uh, Palestine. Noor, I want to uh, go back to your interview with the BBC because you said, you know, uh, Israel has a plan. It's it, it, Israel knows that they, it's going to kill 12 people, but uh, 24 will already come uh, and uh, carry uh, weapons and continue the struggle for liberation. What is the long-term plan of Israel uh, when it invades a place like Jenin? Does it have a long-term plan? I think it does. I think this government in particular has made it very clear what the plan is. Uh, and it has announced it in uh, um, when the when it was formed, and the plan is very simple: to take over as much Palestinian land as possible, to expel as many Palestinians as possible, and those who remain must be subdued, and their aspirations for statehood must be crushed. Those are not my words; those are the words of uh, the Israeli Prime Minister and senior members of his government. So there, you know, it's it's not even an open secret. It's all out in the open, um, announced and fully endorsed and, um, and almost unquestioned, unfortunately, by uh, uh, many countries around the world that uh, the Israeli government, government seeks to annex the occupied West Bank, to expel Palestinians in order to expand settlements uh, uh, against international law and to uh, um, eliminate the possibility that Palestinians would enjoy freedom in a state of their own like all other peoples. Um, so when we look at what happened in Janine, when we look at settler attacks targeting villages, uh, uh, you know, armed 
settlers invading Palestinian villages, shooting up and uh, um, uh, uh, burning up businesses and homes. We have to take the Israelis at their word, and we have to um, remember that this is these are all pieces of the same puzzle. They're not isolated incidents. They're part of a very clear and announced plan of dispossession, of uh, a displacement and replacement. And, um, you know, to, to view it as in any other way would be, uh, uh, would be delusional, for lack of a better word. Um, that's what Israel wants to do, and it is doing it uh, systematically. And um, if you look at the numbers, Israel has killed more Palestinians in the past six months in the West Bank than it did last year. It has uh, um, approved the construction of more settlements in the West Bank in the past six months than it did in an entire year. And and when we talk about construction, I know maybe for the listener it sounds positive, but in order to construct these settlements, Palestinian land has to be taken and Palestinian homes have to be demolished. Palestinian orchards and, 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 and livelihoods have to be destroyed. So the expansion of settlements means the shrinking of Palestinian space, literally, not figuratively. Um, so that, you know, it, it, the actions speak quite loud uh, as to where this is headed. And, and it's not headed towards calm. It's not headed towards dialogue or towards the resolution where Palestinians can finally be set free. Um, but if this is, Israeli government is allowed uh, to get away with what it's doing, it's headed towards even more bloodshed and tears, unfortunately. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF with Ahmed and Sama. We're speaking to Noor Aouda uh, live from Palestine, uh, from Ramallah, and she's a freelance journalist there. We're speaking about uh, Israel's attacks and invasion of uh, Jenin, which is in the West Bank of Palestine, uh, this past week and uh, the destruction that that has uh, caused. Um, I, I saw a statistic that some 80% of the homes were either completely destroyed or damaged in these attacks. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And and let me explain why, because that number sounds really big. But yeah, it sounds um, like there's homes, no homes left. Yeah. Well, what what the Israeli army's tactic was is to get into one home, and to use it as a, a launching pad, uh, so to speak. So from that home, they would basically uh, punch a hole through the wall, open mm -hmm. a hole through the wall and go to the other ho home and on and on through the homes inside the camp in order not to use the streets uh, and to avoid uh, any casualties in their ranks. So in order to save themselves, they basically uh, ruined the homes mm. of the residents in, uh, uh, in the Janine camp. And that's why independent UN experts uh, warned that what the Israeli conduct in the Janine camp uh, is it could amount to war crimes because it, it you know it amounts to collective punishment of the civilian population. It subjected them to undue harm and undue duress. Um, and now that the army has left, we've we've seen many reports uh, uh, and and we've heard many testimony of residents who had to uh, you know be confined to one room in their own home while the Israeli soldiers took over that home. Some of them were used as human shields for the snipers who took over their homes. 
Right. So this, it, it was terrifying all around, not just destructive this for the ex- residents of the camp. This sounds like exactly what Israel, the Israeli government, was claiming is being done out of Jenin by uh, fighters and the whole pretext why they went in. So they're basically practicing what they said they're going in to eliminate by going in and taking over uh, people's homes and using them as launching pads for attacks. And not only that, but because they're so densely populated, almost like very close quarters or apartments or rooms, they go from one home to another by breaking the wall that's in between. Yes, absolutely. And walking through, instead of going on the outside in the streets, so they're doing a sweep home to home, but instead of going through the front door and coming out the back door or coming in and out, they're actually just going home to home through the walls. Through the walls, absolutely. And and I, you know, um, for the benefit of, of the listeners, I have to say that this is not the first time that the Israeli army has done that. In 2002, they went into the Janin refugee camp. They They leveled many of its neighborhoods to the ground and they killed... Uh, about 65 people, uh, many of whom were, were civilians, uh, children, and women. Uh, they raised uh, homes, leveled them to the ground while people were inside them. So the, the trauma was relived for those who had survived that raid on Janine refugee camp 20 years ago. And, you know, uh, they, they might have been kids then. They're now parents with their own children um, in their own homes. And they had to go through that experience again with the same occupation army. Of course, the prime minister of Israel in 2002 was uh, Ariel Sharon, who um, I believe that's right. And he was, um, mm-hmm. you know, known as a, you know, a hardline a former general. Uh, some people called him the butcher. And now you have another um, person in charge of the government, uh, Netanyahu, who is the longest serving prime minister uh, in Israel, I believe, and with yes. one of the most right-wing governments ever, and what was sometimes you know like like you know that puzzling is you have a government here, um, the current administration, the Biden administration, who says they're staunchly against you know extreme right-wing, they're against the uh, Trump uh, administration, but. Uh, uh, here in America, however, when it comes to Israel, they tolerate and they're willing to work with with their administration, with their government. It is it is pretty astounding, isn't it? Especially when you uh, look at the, the the people that Netanyahu chose as allies for his government. Um, and let me give you an example. You have uh, 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 the minister of, of finance, who is a self. Uh, defined, he defines himself as a fascist homophobe. This is the guy who's in charge of the treasury. He's also in charge, he has another portfolio, he's in charge of Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, another minister, uh, whose name is uh, Ben Gvir, uh, uh, is responsible for uh, national security. This guy was convicted of terrorism charges in Israel, in an Israeli court. Um, And now this is a guy who orders the police around, who has just uh, fired or moved the uh, head of police in Tel Aviv because he wasn't crushing the anti-government protests uh, that are, you know, of Israelis who are concerned about 
the reforms and the changes that the government want to, wants to do in the judiciary because it undermines its independence, at least for, uh, you know, uh, for Israeli citizens. Um, so th these are, you know, just examples of the kind of people that Netanyahu chose as his partners uh, um, in this government um, and in a way locked himself into this alliance of people who view uh, taking over Palestinian land, tormenting Palestinians and killing Palestinians as, you know, uh, uh, fulfilling the will of God, if you will. Um, I mean, is, uh, is Netanyahu and, any different? I mean, maybe his rhetoric is not as extreme, but it seems like his government and previous governments, regardless of who's in power, uh, these settlements continue to expand, more land grabbing, less land for Palestinians. So it, does it... Is it really making that much of a difference that this, the current government in Israel, or is this basically, regardless of who's in power, um, things, you know, Palestinians continue to suffer? Well, look, I, I, I think you have a very good point here. When it comes to settlements, all Israeli governments, left and right, have championed uh, the uh, land grab uh, and uh, uh, colonization of Palestinian land. So this is not something unique to Netanyahu. Netanyahu has put settlement expansion on steroids. That's what sets him apart, perhaps, mm -hmm. from other previous prime ministers. But what this government, why this government is unique is because its hostile, almost genocidal tendencies towards Palestinians are so overt. Um, previous governments would, you know, uh, sugarcoat things, talk about a political horizon, talk about the need for dialogue, the need for peace. Well, this government has done away with all of that. And it says very clearly, look, we're not interested. We do not want to talk to the Palestinians. We have absolutely no interest in ending this occupation. In fact, we want the West Bank to be part of Israel. And those Palestinians who will remain when we're done, when we've conclusively crushed the Palestinians, uh, can only stay if they are subservient to our state, which is a, 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 a state exclusively for its Jewish citizens, where self-determination is only confined to the Jewish citizens. And that's how it's going to be. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is that, you know, if this were any other government anywhere else in the world, the world would be up in arms and would say, well, hold on a minute. You can't have a, a, a country, a constitution that affords more rights to even the majority of its citizens and, and cuts off 20% of its population from rights. You can't deny self-determination. You cannot uh, craft laws that uh, discriminate um, structurally and institutionally and across the board against as you know a sector of your population because of their race or because of their religion but that does happen and that takes us back to the exceptionalism now with the biden administration i think yeah it, it you know it's jaw dropping you know to present yourself as someone who is um you know anti right wing who wants to uh, clear up the the slate after all the damage that trump had done and yet all the policies and all the practices that have encouraged people like Netanyahu and his allies remain in place when it comes to Palestine. Uh, the lines are regurgitated and, and you know, almost mindlessly. 
about what can be and should be done about Palestine and about Israel and about the occupation. In fact, the Biden administration doesn't even talk about the occupation anymore. It's more interested in managing the situation. So in a way, it, it keeps telling the Palestinians, well, you know, we know it sucks. It's a really bad situation you're under. But what we need you to do mm. is cooperate with your occupier, secure the occupier's security, maintain it, make sure that nobody protests against this occupation, not even civil society, and uh, um, and then we'll see, and then we'll take it from there. But, you know, don't ask for freedom, don't ask for liberation. That's just uh, too much for us to deal with right now. We're speaking to Noor Awadav, live from Palestine, about the recent attacks and invasion of uh, Janine, which is in the West Bank of uh, what is uh, occupied Palestine. Uh, you talk. Uh, you mentioned settlements and colonies. What is in these settlements that are on steroids by the current administration? Describe for us what are these settlements, and just for people that are not familiar with the geography there, because they often hear about Israel and Palestine. What is a settlement, and why is there a problem with these settlements? Actually, Ahmed, sorry, no. Let me just interrupt and say the way they are described in Western media neighborhoods. They they call Mm -hmm. them neighborhoods. So go ahead. uh, Yeah, and and, uh, that's you know very interesting considering the fact that under international law they're actually war crimes. Um, So let me explain settlements. Let me. explain it in a way that would make sense to people who haven't visited, who don't know the geography. Uh, the West Bank is is not a very a large uh, uh, area, um, but basically Palestinian cities and villages are lumped, right? So you have one, uh, you know, one city like Nablus, for example, which is a, a historic city. It's been there and thriving for thousands of years. And around Nablus, there are you know, uh, dozens of, of, of small villages. Now, all the land uh, around those villages and between the villages and Nablus are uh, under Israeli control, and they basically get eaten up piece by piece in order to build walled-off communities for Israelis that are transplanted from Israel proper into the occupied territory, These settlements, as they are called in international law, are guarded by the Israeli state. They're provided with uh, uh, access, with roads, with security, with uh, uh, special provisions, with even incentives to move in there and commit that war, war crime. But in order to maintain those settlements and in order to expand them, you have to keep Uh, taking Palestinian land, you have to uh, uh, demolish Palestinian homes, and you have to restrict uh, and basically starve the the land that Palestinians plant until it's no longer viable in order to take it over. So when we talk about settlement construction, what we're really talking about is the destruction of Palestinian land, of Palestinian livelihoods, and of Palestinian space. And that's why it's, you know, a, a very important hallmark of the settler colonial regime that Israel has imposed. It's not there uh, temporarily. It's not there only militarily. It is taking over land and bringing its own population in the occupied territory uh, uh, to 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 settle it 
and to take it over. So this is like. Sorry, uh, so this is like if uh, a, a developer in Florida takes some land and develops it and makes it into a gated community with residential homes and then starts uh, necessarily selling it. But what you're saying is they're taking this land by force. Is it the mm-hmm. military that's taking this by force and then they're destroying what's there and then building new homes and only uh, Israeli Jews can be placed in those homes. Absolutely. That's so what happened, exactly what and, is. And what happened to the Palestinians that were living on those lands? What are they? Do they get paid for that land? Where do they go? Do they are they allowed to? Do they get relocated somewhere else, or what happens to them? No, no, they just get displaced, and to hell with them, really. That the the Israeli regime doesn't care what happens to the Palestinians who are uh, displaced. Um, And even if they're not physically displaced, even if they just lose a piece of their land or their land becomes part of the settlement and they can no longer plant it, it basically uh, takes away from their property. Most of these Israeli settlements are built on privately owned Palestinian land. So it's it's not really it's it's not so much a developer, but let's say if a gangster comes and takes over part a plot of land mm-hmm. <laughs> near your near your town and develops it and then sells it off, walls it off and 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 maintains an army presence to protect it uh, and to keep the original owners from returning to their land. That's ba- basically what settlements are. And that's why they are a constant sore uh, 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 point. It, they are a constant reminder for Palestinians um that their land is literally being taken from under their feet. Uh, I look out the window from my apartment in Ramallah and I see a huge Israeli settlement that's, that's been getting bigger and bigger over the years. I see an Israeli military base also nearby that's been getting bigger and bigger over the years. And it's a reminder that those, you know, uh, that settlement and that military base keeps getting closer to my home. Um, just to add to, you know, one more dimension of feeling of insecurity to to me and every ordinary Palestinian who lives who lives in this land. Summer. What about natural resources like water and the environment and the ability of the Palestinian to plant uh, his land? What about, for instance, I read that they have to do highways. Uh, so there is, are these highways for... Uh, these settlers only can you elaborate on on sharing the resources let's say like water well that, that's a very good question because the um, natural resources in the west bank are controlled and taken over by israel so for pa- palestinians to consume water they buy it from their occupier uh, at a high price um and that's a higher why price yeah, so yeah. They, uh, the Arab Palestinians are paying more than Jewish people for the same water. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the the it, it's not just that um, it, because of all the restrictions imposed on even how much water we can buy. The on average, according to the World Health Organization, we consume as Palestinians uh, about one third of what Israeli settlers consume in terms of water. Um, and that. You feel that mostly during the summer when it's hot and when, you know, the, the resources are scarce um, and we only get uh, water, running water in the tabs 
uh, twice a week and we have to collect water in tanks while Israeli settlers enjoy, uh, you know, uh, unfettered access to water in their taps, to water in their swimming so pools, etc. Et these illegal settlements were, they're not supposed to be there to begin with. And uh -huh. they get two thirds of the water and all of the Palestinians on their own land get a third of the water. Yes. Resource. Now, just in comparison, I'll turn it over to Summer. How many settlers are actually living uh, in these settlements in the West Bank? Well, in the West Bank, including Jerusalem, there is between six and 700,000 Israeli settlers. Compared to how many um, Palestinians? Compared to almost 4 million. So 600,000 Israeli settlers are using two-thirds of the water, while the rest of the 4 million Palestinians use a third, and they have access to water about twice a week. Yes. And they pay... High, uh, pay more for that same water as a water bill. Absolutely. I mean, if that's not Absolutely. an example of apartheid, where you know <laughs> two different people, depending on your ethnicity, that you're going to pay different price for water. You know, it's water. That yeah. is just the, I, you know, it's just crazy. It is crazy. Uh, uh, it, and and it's difficult to explain. Uh, um, you know, for those who don't live this ridiculous, brutal reality. But it doesn't stop there. Let me give you another example of how our realities are different. When the Israelis detain a Palestinian, even if it's a child as young as 11 or 12, uh, that Palestinian will be sent to a military court. Israel is the only country in the world that has a military court, especially for children. Wow. Uh, and not just adults. Um, and that court is uh, presided over by three military officers with little to no legal background. So these are not real judges or officers of the court. They're tried by other officers. Um, and human rights organizations, of course, document a whole host of uh, 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 violations uh, uh, of prisoners' rights, including torture and so on. Uh, but even for children, there is there are mistreatment, beatings, uh, threats of sexual harassment, threats against the families of those kids. Um, but it, but parallel to that, or on the opposite side of that, when an Israeli, even an Israeli settler, is detained, and that's a very rare when, um, they're tried in civilian Israeli courts where a proper judge. Uh, uh, presides over the, the proceedings where there are safeguards, where the rights to due process are respected. So, you know, that's why I say this occupation permeates every aspect of your life. It's not just about the soldier that you might run into. It's about everything. It's about the fact that if there are Jewish holidays and the, Isra the Israelis close the uh, crossings, um, then the movement of goods is is um, is impeded, and so the 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 shelves in our supermarkets get affected. So when there are Jewish holidays in Israel proper, we make sure to buy vegetables and fruits ahead of time because we know we're not going to get anything fresh during the during that uh, uh, lockdown. Um, and again, so many so many examples like that. What about Noor, if Palestinians in Jenin want to go to the Friday prayer or the Eid prayer 
Fajr's or during Ramadan, do they have freedom of movement on their well, on their uh, special uh, uh, religious the way the Israelis and the Jews have? No, they don't. Uh, if to to enter Jerusalem, you must go through a process, right? Uh, in order to enter Jerusalem, if you're a Palestinian with a West Bank ID, you have to first uh, get uh, uh, what they call a magnetic card, which basically is, uh, is a magnetic tag for you, right? It's an electronic tag. And it initially says whether you're um, classified as a security threat or not. Once you get that magnetic card, you apply for a permit. If you're under... 45, if you're a male under 45, you are most likely not going to be allowed into Jerusalem for prayer. If you, uh, 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 if you're lucky enough to be married, to have kids, you might have a chance. So the restrictions are extreme. Uh, during Ramadan and during uh, Christmas, Palestinians, um, because of international pressure, get a little bit more uh, wiggle room, but that's very relative. So there are a lot of families who would get permits, uh, for example, during Christmas to go um, uh, to enter Jerusalem, but it wouldn't be for the entire family. So the dad and mom would get a permit, but the kids won't. The kids and mom would get a permit, but the dad won't. And so ultimately nobody goes. Um, uh, so the, the, the access to Jerusalem, whether it's the Church of Holy Sepulchre or the Aqsa Mosque, is very, very complicated. It gets even more complicated and almost impossible if you're a Palestinian who lives in Gaza, because then what, you you just don't have a chance. What about love and marriage? Because somebody told me, and I'm not sure how accurate this is, but actually I was in Jerusalem as a tourist many, many years ago, and we took uh, some tour, they call it the political tour, and there was a guy who said, I'm going to sneak and go see my wife. <laughs> said, what do you mean? He says, we only meet like every so months. And I, I didn't really understand, uh, but he told me that, you know, they control love too. Can of you course elaborate? they do. How? Well, well, because if you're a Palestinian with, with a West Bank ID, uh, because Israel has separated Palestinians, so... Um, we're all tagged in a way. Um, we're tagged by the city we live in. So you have a Ramallah-issued ID, a Bethlehem-issued ID, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the Jerusalem ID, which is a completely different uh, situation for the Israelis because they've already annexed it completely and they consider it part of Israel. But in order for Palestinians who were born and raised in Jerusalem to keep their ID, they must remain in Jerusalem. They cannot leave for work uh, or, or travel or business for more than a, a nine months at a time because then their ID would be revoked and they wouldn't be able to return uh, to Palestine, not just to Jerusalem. And if somebody from Jerusalem happens to fall with a Palestinian from the West Bank, then a whole new nightmare emerges because the spouse from the West Bank cannot live in Jerusalem uh, without a valid permit, which is almost impossible to, to uh, obtain. The spouse from Jerusalem can't move to the West Bank because if, uh, it, you know, the Israelis find out that they've moved to the West Bank, then their ID is revoked and they end up with no ID. 
So um, they end up with nothing. And then if these this couple has kids, then another dimension of the problem emerges because then these kids have to be registered. And registering them as Jerusalemites is a battle in of itself. And it take it could take years for the parents to be able to get IDs to get these kids recognized and, and, and to make sure that they're able to stay in Jerusalem. So yes, Israel controls uh, who we can love and, 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 and how we live. It controls what kind of plants we can plant in the West Bank, how much water we consume. It controls every aspect of life. That's what a hegemonic occupation does. Um, and it's been doing that for 56 years. Uh, we are running out of time, Noor, but I just want to um, maybe mention something. Uh, the fact that our tax money is what is keeping this uh, regime on uh, place. And do you see any hope of the American uh, public uh, paying attention to what our tax dollars are doing to other people's lives? I sure hope so, Samad, because you guys are bankrolling this situation. Uh, without you knowing, um, about $4 billion of your tax money goes every year to uh, uh, fund the Israeli military. Um, and there's really no need for that. At a time when people are talking about the student debt and they're talking about you know the, the fallout from COVID and unemployment and all sorts of things that really touch the lives of millions of Americans, I think it's time to ask, why are we spending all that money uh, to make another people miserable? Why are we spending money that facilitates taking freedom from one people? Uh, uh, um, why do we need to do that as Americans? And, and, and like I said earlier in the program, I do take stock and I, and I do have hope in the brave voices, progressive voices that are emerging in American politics that have are speaking truth to power and are talking about accountability, um, not just for my sake as a Palestinian, but really for your sake as Americans. I think that you have a right as taxpayers to know where your money is being spent uh, and to make sure that it's spent where it needs to be, starting at home, starting with, you know, uh, uh, healthcare and, 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 uh, and like I said, student debt and all sorts of other, uh, you know, uh, social priorities. Um, and that any international assistance the U.S. provides, it must at least respect U.S. values and 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 and, uh, and American laws. Um, it, it shouldn't be given uh, um, without conditions to countries that have are known to be violating international law. Thank you, um, Noor. So I do have some hope, but it will take time, I think. We're out of time. Thank you, Noor Auda, talk, speaking to us uh, live from Palestine. Stay safe, and we hope to have you back on uh, the show. This is uh, True Talk on WMNF, WMNF Tampa. NPR News is next. See you here, same time next week.